Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start And Jay Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone from hot Westchester It's going to be about 90 today but this is going to be fun, and this is the author of, David Arnold is here, the author of The Electric Kingdom. Now, if you think that the pandemic outside is bad COVID, wait till you get to learn about the deadly fly flu. That was like, oh, my God, flu fly. I was like, oh, my God. So, good morning. How are you? And this this is interesting. I felt like I was reading what's happening in the world today, but in a different kind of portal. <laughs> yeah, it was a very surreal experience. You know, I've been working on this book since, well, I, I had the f- first had the idea back in 2012 um, for the book, and it's sort of been on, it was on the back burner for a few years, and then I got really serious about it in 2017, 2016, right in there. And, uh, yeah, we had picked uh, February 2021 as the publication date. My, my publisher had picked that, you know, a long time ago, and then, and then COVID hit in spring of 2020, and it was kind of... Uh, I was like, ah, this is, the timing was really very odd for sure. That is great. I just posted the picture of the of the book and the fact that I'm on there, and people are actually looking at it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I posted a review about an hour, about 6 o'clock this morning. I said, oh, my God, I want to get rid of this, this book finally. And about 10 people read my review, and I go like, Okay, I guess I must have done something right. You just you just yeah. never know. So right. how did you co- how did you come up with this? Tell us about the pandemic and how you decided to write this. You know, write this particular thing. It was like scared me as as I was reading it. I go, oh my god, this is so real. Yeah, you know, it's timing is everything, and it's a it was a very odd thing, as I said, and I really I, mm-hmm. I think. I, you know, with a lot of people, I've always, you know, I've always been really fascinated, not really with um, apocalyptic fiction so much as post-apocalyptic fiction. And to me, there is a difference, you know, on the one hand, with apocalyptic fiction, and um, it's more about kind of how the world ended. And then with post-apocalyptic fiction, you've, you're talking more about the, the world after it's, after it's ended. And, and it kind of inherently shifts the tone and the focus um, from plot-driven to character-driven um, because you're not dealing with what happened. You're dealing with who it happened to. And so I've always mm. been really fascinated with that concept. And, um, you know, The Electric Kingdom, I always say it's really, it's, you know, it's set 20 years after the end of the world. It really doesn't spend a whole lot of time discussing how the world ended, Um it's very much not a pandemic book, even though there is a pandemic in it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, and it's also, you know, the, the fly flu is transmitted via these sort of monstrous hordes of flies, um, sort of a crossbreeding experiment with a honeybee that kind of went wrong. And um, so it's quite different. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was the evolution of story over a really long period of time. Um, as I said, I had the initial idea in 2012, and it had, I don't think it was a coincidence that it was around that time that my son was born. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the book ultimately is, is a relationship between a daughter and a father, and the father kind of wanting to spare his daughter pain and suffering. And, um, and I think that was really the heart of the book, certainly as I was writing it. I know. That was the sad part about it. It's sad. But... I definitely like writing like this because my new book is coming out. Um, the 26th is called Population Zero. And it's worlds that are very strange without people. And they're like a world of mist, a world with no sun, and a whole bunch like that that I just created yeah. out of nowhere. My crazy imagination. So when I read this, I go like, yeah, that that's interesting. So you had to do research. What did research did you do about the fly flu? 
And how is it transmitted? And that's probably why if I see one, I run away. Yeah, so, you know, the fly flu, I, I really, when I'm, when I'm reading post-apocalyptic fiction, I like to be, and I think in really any, any fiction, you want to be put in the shoes of the main character. And in this mm. case, in the Electric Kingdom, you know, it's, it's set, you know, a couple of decades after the end of the world, and it's populated mostly by mm. teenagers, so they don't really have a whole lot of understanding as to what happened. Um, all they know really mm. is, is what snippets of books they've read um, and then what their parents or the adults around them have told them. And, and so in that sense, I wanted the reader to also be put in a sense of, uh, you know, you get snippets of information kind of along the way, but you're never mm. quite entirely sure what happened. There's, there's no flashback to the end of the world or anything like that. Mm. And um, so it does, you know, the book feels it's hard to talk about, try not to spoil anything, but it deals in multiple timelines. There may or may not be some time travel things happening. And um, there's definitely like some science fiction angles um, happening with the book. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, as far as the fly flu went, it was sort of just an imagination. I was able to just kind of think, well, what would this look like? Um, and then I kind of imagined like um, swarms of, of bees kind of gathering and, and flying around. And I don't know, it, it made it, it made it just sort of, I was able to go with my imagination, but to answer the first part of your question with research, um, I was, I was intent on the landscape being recognizable and accurate. Um, and so my family, my extended family, my wife's extended family lives in Maine and we've taken a few trips up there. Um, and we've driven a couple of times as well, and I really, I always love that drive. And so I took a couple of re- dedicated research trips to Manchester, New Hampshire, and kind of walked along the river where the main character Nico spends a lot of her time in the book, um, and kind of basically mapped out her journey. Um, so my hope is that, you know, the the um, the journey aspect of the main character, you know, if you wanted to go walk that that journey, you could. Um, and certainly it's a, it's a reimagined post-apocalyptic landscape, but there are spots along the way that you can see, um, even now. So, well, you could, I could feel it. I could see it. And of course the cover says it all when she's walking with her dog. Oh, it's so cute. The cover, the cover (laughs) just sort of, you could feel like the like the world is going to explode as you're looking at the cover of the book. because the cover sometimes just does it, but the I email totally that agree. Says, yeah, see that it's it's gorgeous, it's perfect, yeah. Because sometimes the cover of the book just sort of kills the book. And, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. And 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 you want to find the right you want to find the right line between yeah. uh, you know art, artistic integrity and 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 commercialism, and it's kind of a hard line to walk. But Penguin, my publisher at Penguin. Um, and the designer is Teresa Evangelista. She did a fantastic job with that cover, for sure. You're lucky. I'm very lucky. It took oh, me forever yeah. to, to pick to pick one. Yeah. And then they don't always let you pick what you want. So. Right. I, I like Dingo and her father. So he told her some stories that play a part in the plot, and then he tells her she has to leave the farmhouse. Why? Yeah, so you know, Nico has spent her entire life in this in this boarded up farmhouse in the woods, and in fact, that was you know, I, when I when I say I had the initial idea in 2012, all I had mm-hmm. to start with was this image of a boarded up farmhouse in the middle of the woods, and I wasn't really sure who lived there or why, and so this book really started mm-hmm. with that image of a dark boarded up farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, um, and so Nico. Nico and her parents, she grew up with her parents and her dogs in this farmhouse for her entire life. Um, mm. And uh, you kind of come to find, you kind of come to discover that that uh, her parents basically um, went to live there after everything collapsed in the world. And um, Nico was a baby when that all happened. So she has no memory of anything other than living in this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then as she turns, like right around the time she's um, 17, 18 years old, her mother, uh, her mother gets sick and dies. And then her father starts to get sick. <laughs> and that's when he decides mm-hmm. to tell her um, some, well, what may or may not be the, 
there are some truths in some of the fictional stories that she's been raised mm-hmm. on. He's been telling her these made-up stories her whole life. And as he's starting to get sick and kind of lose his mind, he tells her that there are some actual factual um, things in those stories that he told her and that she needs to leave. Um, and ultimately, she doesn't want to leave, obviously. I mean, this is her home. That's her father who she loves. Um, mm-hmm. But her, her choice is really to stay and potentially also get sick and die the same way her parents have. Or, uh, best case scenario, she lives alone by, her, you know, by herself in these woods for the rest of her life. And that's really no, no way to live either. So she ultimately decides to kind of take a leap of faith and believe that her dad is telling the truth. And, um, mm. and he, she sets out on this sort of journey to get to Manchester, New Hampshire, um, to find what may or may not be uh, like a mythological por- portal. That's scary. I often would love to find a portal to escape, too, in real life. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't we all? I think all? everybody would. So yeah. talk about this, is really Talk about the untold want and how this chapter sets the stage for what happens next. That is scary. Yeah, well, if, I mean, I'm not sure. if you, So that, that really was about her kind of heading out into the un, unknown. Yeah. And, um, she has her dog with her, her trusted Harry, and, you know, I grew up with a dog, and I'd always kind of wanted to write a dog, and this is my fourth novel, and um, every every time I get deep into it, I think, uh, well, in my third book, I did have a dog, but it ended up not being a huge part of the story, and I really wanted to kind of spend more time with that kind of character, and um, so, yeah, so Nico and Harry kind of set off into the woods together, and... Um, and then it really is a, you know, it starts off kind of as a story of survival and, and from her to get from point A to point B. Um, but she meets some other people along the way, some dangerous, yeah. some not so dangerous. Um, <clears throat> so there's a secondary character named Kit um, who is kind of on his own journey um, to the East Coast with his adopted sibling. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, they their paths kind of intertwine. And I think... That was really important to me because I, I I wanted it to kind of feel, I wanted the book to feel, like I said, kind of like a, okay, well, here's a sort of a, a survivor story, and he goes in the woods with her dog, and she's trying to get to this place, and she kind of, early on, we see the, the dangers, whether it be the fly flu, what they what the, the swarms of flies are still capable of, or um, there's some, I call them the metal masks, the sort of gang of of uh, dangerous men mostly um, that she comes in across and so you kind of see the dangers and you feel like okay this is a survival book but I really wanted it to be more about friendship and relationship as well um, and so when she's able to kind of cross paths with Kit and the other group you start to see yeah. a friendship a really unexpected friendship born um, between the two of, the, of, the, of those and then ultimately also Lennon who was in a third group um, that they kind of come into contact with. I mean, the book, you know, it's like, it's kind of, it's hard juggling multiple narratives. And, yeah. Um, but it, it, it has to have that sense of anything can happen um, or you're not going to feel really in the moment of that world. Um, so, yeah. I was in a lot of worlds reading this one. Let me tell you. Now, yeah. this was interesting. Yes, I know. This is scary. The movie theater. How did you create the movie theater and how each person had their own spot and had their own thing? Lakey, Mondi, Dakota, Kit loves books, he's like me, and the artwork. I mean, how did you create where they were going to have like a sort of like a safe haven to stay? That was interesting. Yeah, well, thank you. And I love that question for a number of reasons. But, you know, one of the things when you you start to read a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction, one of the things that jumps out about the ones that are done really well is the role that that setting plays and um, Mm -hmm. being able to use interesting settings from everyday life um, that are that are now have now been repurposed in a new world, and um, so I started thinking, well, what would be a fun setting to play in? And I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and and we have probably my favorite place in the world is this really old. Uh, it's called the Kentucky Theater. It's in downtown and um, Lexington, and it's so beautiful and old. There's just so you can feel the history when you walk in there. And um, they've actually recently they closed due to COVID, and you know we're 
fingers crossed, we're hoping they reopen soon, but I was able to, um, they were, they were really so gracious. Um, when I, I kind of, I called ahead and kind of said, look, I'm writing a novel that's set in an old, in an old cinema. Um, I'd love to kind of see behind the scenes, just get a peek at what happens in the, in the building. And, the owners were very kind and said, come on down. I was able to get this kind of behind the scenes tour of that old cinema. And, um, yeah, mm. so the, the, the paradise twin, the old cinema in the movie, excuse me, in the, in the book is very much based on the Kentucky theater here in town, everything from the layout to the way you feel walking through it. And being like I said, just being able to feel the history and kind of what going to the movies used to be. Um, and of course now that's, <laughs> in COVID that's become a whole different thing that, um, mm. you know, the, the movie going experience, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was just, a, that was a really, that really became kind of almost a wish fulfillment for me when I was thinking about settings. Like if I lived in this world, where would I want to live? And, um, yeah. setting up shop in an old, in an old cinema that, you know, it doesn't sound, <laughs> that sounds wonderful. So, um, so yeah, that was ended up being a really fun experience, and certainly from a research perspective, was just um, was just a dream come true. So it was that was interesting, and it's funny that you should say Paradise. Well, I grew up in the South Bronx, and in the South Bronx, in the, on the Concourse, there was a Paradise Theater. It was huge. It was a multi oh, com, multi Yeah, it was had two floors, and if I was really good, I was allowed to go there. It wasn't exactly the, the safest place to go, but we went anyway. Sure. And it was yeah, like, you sure. th- even back, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. And I go like, oh, my God, this place is so, it was beautiful. I mean, mm. unbelievable compared to movie theaters today that I don't go into. I'd rather watch right. it on television at this point. Now, this character yeah. is, I'm not going to tell anybody who he is, but, oh, my God, the Deliverer. How did you create that? And, you know, at times he just shows up. And why is he so elusive? He scared me to death, this guy. Yeah, so the Deliverer is a really interesting figure, um, and so without telling, without giving it too much away, I mean, honestly, yeah. um, there was a big a big turning point for me with this book was in 20, I believe, 15, maybe 2016, um, I went and saw the movie Arrival, um, which uh, is a brilliant movie in its own right, just, um, you know, on its own, whether it's the Eric Heiser film score or uh, uh, film screenplay or the Johan Johansson film score. I mean, I, I've left that movie thinking I didn't know that sci-fi could be that way. Um, and then that movie led me to the source material, which is ultimately Ted Chang wrote, um, well, and now he's got a, a second um, publication out. But, yeah, I mean, he, so he has a collection of short stories called Stories of Your Life and Others um, that just blew my mind. And, and that's what that movie Arrival is based on. And it really sort of opened my mind to what sci-fi could be and the potential for sci-fi. Um, even when you take um, – it, it doesn't take much, I guess. If you, can, if you have, like, a compelling image or a compelling storyline – that you can then drop into something that isn't necessarily sci-fi. It can kind of turn everything on its head. And that was really what I was interested in with this book. If you remove the Deliverer from the Electric Kingdom, it is a straight post-apocalyptic story. There's no sci-fi to it at all. Um, it also wouldn't work. <laughs> but, but, but also, I mean, so as you're reading the book, it really does feel like a post-apocalyptic, a realistic post-apocalyptic story. Um, but then, yeah, every few chapters you get a, a character called the Deliverer who is omniscient and omnipresent and seems to kind of know everything and is able to connect a bunch of threads. Um, they tend to be in the right place at the right time to connect different people. Mm. And you're not really sure what's going on with the Deliverer um, until the end. And... Uh, and that was really mm-hmm. fun to write. It was a huge challenge. It really made made the process a lot more difficult, just fitting all the pieces together. Um, but I'm but I'm really proud of it. And uh, and ultimately, it it's it is sort of my nod to I you know I I mentioned Ted Chiang. I just I what I, one of the mm-hmm. things I love the most when I'm reading Ted Chiang is you're not necessarily as the reader you're not necessarily connecting all of the thread because it's just so complicated and there are so many things happening all at once. Um, but the way he writes it, you're able to sort of let go and trust that he has connected all the threads, and and that allows you to really just enjoy the experience. And so I think that ultimately was my goal with this book. Was I understand it's there's a lot of threads going on. <laughs> there are a lot of threads, and there are a lot of timelines, and 
it, it gets pretty complicated, but my hope is that um, you're able to kind of just let go and enjoy the experience. Well, I'm a reading specialist and a writing oh. specialist. It's my master's, and I understand everything. And if I, if oh, good. This is the, the, the fun part about this is that um, it had a lot of plots. Usually when a book has the wrong kind of plots, I take out my graphic organizers that I use with my students and figure out, okay, what are the main ideas? I didn't have to do that with this one. I understood exactly oh. what was going on. And I'm saying that this this is what's really great is that it was a different kind of thing. It wasn't the same kind of novel with just another plot, which is what I read yesterday, which we won't say which <laughs> book is that. Book that one. Yeah, I, I, you know, I read like 12,000 books in the last 10 years. I, my husband's counsel, I counsel them. And I'm going like, mm. sometimes the, char- the author is a mystery writer, and he writes this, the you know, same characters, just another plot, and I go, oh, God, when am I going to have Root Canal instead? So this was like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't normally take books like this, and I go like, you know what, this is great. And she asked me to read it, and I don't even know who the publicist was. And I go like, okay, no problem, I can deal with this. And then when I read it, I go, yeah, this is different. Yeah, I'm not going to fall asleep. I read this in one day. No, really, I did. Oh, that's so. that's so lovely to hear, and I appreciate that. And, you know, I feel like as writers, so, I mean, I'm sure you understand this better than anyone, I feel like everyone, you know, you can't do everything in every book. And so yeah. I feel like every book, you, you kind of order your, um, the, I call it sort of like a hierarchy of values, the things that I want yeah. to, the things that are the most important to me in, in certain books, and those things vary. And with this book, honestly, like, I wanted to write something big and ambitious and something new and something that I hadn't read before. Oh, you did. Um, so I appreciate that. That's a huge compliment for sure. You, you did because I wouldn't say it otherwise. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I get books in the mail. I think this one she asked me, but you know what's really weird? She asked me to read it, and it was in the mail. I got it that day. I go, like, wait a minute. How did she know I was going to say yes? <laughs> I, yeah, I get that. Was, I mean, yesterday I got something. Like, where did that come from? I didn't even yeah. know the, the author knew who I, who I am. So I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So you have the farmhouse, the movie theater, the echo house, and other places, and you set up descriptions of these places so that people can see them, right? And that's difficult, yeah. besides multi-plots. How did you create that? And then the question of the day, how did they know when the flies were going to come back so that they could hide? That's good. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, as far as the settings go, you know, so we talked a little bit about the Paradise Twin and mm-hmm. the amount of time that I spent in the in the Kentucky Theater here in town. And then also I mentioned, you know, the time that I spent up in Manchester, New Hampshire, and in the woods mm-hmm. kind of surrounding Man and, and Concord as well. Um, so I guess the short answer really is, you know, it just takes time and being okay with it taking time and then going and, and being in those places when you can. Um, certainly with the theater and with and with Manchester I could I could do that because those are real places. But you know, with the with the house the you know, the house by the solar cliffs, so the deliverer who lives in this house that has electricity when uh like solar powered electricity and um it's kind of on this mountain and again mm-hmm. the deliverer is able to kind of see everything and know everything or it seems that way anyway. Um, you know, that really just it did take time, but of course that's different than research because that's a completely non-existent place. Um, so it really just—I guess it really is just a matter of time, you know. Because if you had read drafts from two or three years ago, it's a completely different book. And um, being able to spend the time fleshing out all of that and, and getting it to a place where it is fully realized, and I credit my. My publisher was letting me have the time to do that and space to do that, and then also my editor was directing me <laughs> in the right ways um, and kind of pointing out. You know, it's never – I get a lot of questions about, well, what if you have a disagreement with your editor? And I'm like, that's yeah, not really – that's really, not in my, in yeah. my Well, and in my, in my experience, and I guess this very likely is just that I've gotten very lucky in having brilliant editors, and – the the process isn't ever an editor telling me what to do. It's it's very much like the two of us are in the same boat trying to trying to make the thing what it what it can be. So it's mm-hmm. always you know it's it's less um, it's less an editor pointing out faults and it's more an editor kind of shining a light on something and saying you know can you 
can you better express this, uh, or this isn't quite working, here's some possible solutions. You know, it's never, it's never like, hey, you need to fix this or you need to change this. It's, it's more like, hey, this either isn't working or we think it could be better and here are some ways to do that. Um, so I think I've just gotten really, really lucky in having great editors. Um, and, but yeah, I, I, this book would not, it would be a shadow of itself without, um, certainly with all the timelines and connecting all of those threads. I, I could never have done that on my own. My editor at Viking was, was, um, had played an integral role in that process. Yeah, I didn't. I had three editors also, but they didn't do anything to help like that. One corrected my grammar. One just left me like a note on the side, delete that. And one, nobody told me content. And I'm saying, did hmm. I get this right? So I had, yeah, I I got somebody else to read it. I got three other people to read it. I even got yeah. a New York Times author to read it to tell me what he thought I should do. Um, Lee Matthew Goldberg read it and said, this is what I think you need to do to make it better. Because my editors yeah. didn't really, they didn't really help me enough. So huh. tell us about Lakey and Monty's adoptive parents and how and we created the events before each one of them died and played into the future. That was sad. Yeah, so Lakey and Monty are these, um, these siblings who, you know, I, I guess I, what I needed, so I kind of had this problem, which was that I had set a world where most of the adults were dying. Um, yeah. And or, or 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 had already died. Um, and what I needed was a way to kind of group kids. I, but I needed I needed more kids than there were adults um, mm-hmm. in the world. So I had to find ways, and and that was a really interesting thing. That sometimes you set rules for your world, where then that where that kind of actually informs the story. Um, so then I had to kind of create a backstory with Kit's mom. Um, where she had these friends who had been who had been killed by 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 flu flies and and ultimately then thinking well we can let's find a way where it's not really Kit's fault but where Kit might feel like it was his fault that oh, Lakey wow. and Monty's parents had been killed so that then adds another layer it's not just okay Lakey and Monty's parents were killed um, it's Kit was a baby when it happened. And the reason, well, p- potentially the reason they were killed is because he had been up all night and his mom, Dakota, who had been in charge of kind of looking out, had fallen asleep. So now Kit, as an, as an 11-year-old, has never known Lakey and Monty's parents but knows the story, which was he was a baby when it happened. And, and it may or may not have been his, his fault. Of course, it's, you know, he couldn't <laughs> – it wasn't his fault ultimately, but he, he feels that way. So it adds extra depth to the character as well and um ultimately monty is is sort of one of the driving catalysts in them leaving the town that they grew up in um so without giving any spoilers things change in the town um where they grew up and monty has been able to build a radio um out of a crystal radio out of found parts and has heard uh, like a recording a recorded loop of a safe haven um somewhere off the east coast and so Things change in their town, and Monty and Kit and Lakey kind of set off to go find this this island. And that that was their journey, sort of when they run into Nico, um, and and things, of course, change from there. So now this was interesting. What is the Red Book, and what exactly <laughs> delivered doing to let the people know that he's aware of everything? That is so scary. Yeah, so I'm trying to think how to answer this without giving spoilers. Ultimately, the the deliverer, this isn't a spoiler. You kind of figured this out early on. The deliverer is Mm -hmm. either living an eternal life or is living many lives over and over again. And so the Red Books Mm -hmm. are the deliverer's way to keep everything straight um, and to keep to kind of keep um, an account of Mm -hmm. the people in in their world. the, the lives and the incidents and the events and um, and so the deliverer kind of follows the red books to certain places um, to connect certain threads um, and you kind of ultimately see how the red books also include things that the deliverer has tried in past lives or in earlier lives 
uh, that haven't worked. So it's sort of almost like also a warning of things not to do as well. Um, but yeah, it's an account. I would say the short answer is that the red books are sort of mm. like the Bible for the deliverer. It's like the deliverer's an account of the many lives of the deliverer. That's scary. So why do we get the feeling that Uniqo is more than we realized? And why does she still want to go back to the farm with Lennon? Well, ultimately, yeah, I mean, she misses her dad, ultimately. She wants to be back with him, and, and that's it's her home. It's it's what she's always known as her home. And um, I think that's a very, you know, I've written books in the past where a character was trying to, uh, for whatever reason, they've been taken away from their home and they were now trying to get back to their home. And that's a really, that's a pretty common, it's not a bad thing at all. Mm. It's, it's just a very common thing in storytelling where a character is trying to go home. Um, and this book really is about a character who is trying to leave home but doesn't want to. <laughs> like Nika doesn't want to go to get mm. to leave the farmhouse. And, and so the entire time that she's leaving, she's thinking back about her dad and about wanting to be back with him, but she also kind of knows that there's, there's really no life for her there. It's, there's no future. Potentially her dad is dying. And she may die, and if she doesn't, she's just going to be alone. And um, So it's kind of the lesser of two evils, her leaving. But that doesn't change her emotional uh, connection to her dad and to her house and to the home that she was raised in. So um, the whole time she's walking away from her house, she's wanting to turn around and go back. This was this was interesting too because the title is the Electric Kingdom. So what electrics do they have, and are they able to use? Yeah, they don't have any really. I mean, so the Deliverer lives in this yeah. this giant house on top of a cliff that's powered by by a cliff a cliff a whole cliff side that's covered in solar panels, and so the Deliverer has electricity, but no one else does. And um, ultimately, I I wrote most of the book with the title, the working title, which is Nico. I just called it Nico. I didn't know what it was going to be called. Mm. Um, and then there's a scene. There's one scene where Nico and Kit and Lennon are walking, and they they walk underneath some old power lines. And Nico kind of thinks back about what the world might have been like, and um, mm. and really all of these things that she has considered magical her entire life, electricity, the internet, computers, mm. you know, whatever, um, you know, ultimately boils down to, <laughs> and of course it doesn't, but in her mind she's walking under these these power lines, and it kind of all boils down to these cables like that she's looking at, and she thinks the only reason that her king that the kingdom had been great was because it was electric. And that was kind of when I thought, oh, maybe I'll call it the electric kingdom. <laughs> um, so. Well, if you ever had a blackout or something, everybody knows exactly what it is not to have electricity. And, and it's scary. Right, right. Yeah. It's scary, especially yeah, when you get stuck in the elevator like I did. But anyway. Oof, yeah, that's, um, that's no good. Well, tell us about the chapter with Nico and the electrics. With Nico and the what? And the electrics. Uh, I'm not sure. You mean near? You are you talking about near the end in the house? Let me see something where I put it there. Well, she she just seems to be fascinated by by the electrics. Yeah, it's chapter. Uh, it says Nico electrics on page two fifty four. They came to a place where small um, land split the water in the woods, and she's with Lennon power lines. They are pretty intact. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah, and that was just her sort of ruminating on what the world had once been, and um, and how how her world looked a certain way, but it was only that way because it was electric. And um, yeah, so. Okay, hold on a minute. Let me see this now before I forget. On Monday, John Burke will be here with Make Your Move. On Tuesday, the day before I died. On Wednesday, Brian Silverman, Freedom Drop. On 21st, um, ACAC Girls with Chris Carlson. On the 23rd, the 7th Mission of Cavalry. Number 20 On the 28th, the Dead Tree uh, Sales. That's about somebody trying to poison actually did an Angora Oak and kill it for money. The 29th, Tess Garrison and Gary Braver, Choose Me. And on the 30th, probably one of the saddest books I've ever read, Through a Sober Lens. It's about a recovering alcoholic 
and uh, opiate user. However, he just uh, he talk, talks about it, but each part has a, a picture that he uses photography to tell the story. It's beautiful. It's absolutely perfect. So that's what's coming up, and that's June, and I don't get started back till August 2nd with Jeff Bond. So tell us about Echo and how they meet him. Yeah, so um, Echo is, uh, you know, so after Nico and uh, runs into the other group with Kit and, and Lakey and Monty and Lennon, um, they stumble across a cabin, and um, without giving too much away, there's a, there's a reason mm-hmm. why they decide they want to stay in that cabin for the night. Mm-hmm. But they also aren't, they, you know, this isn't a violent group of kids, <laughs> so they don't, they're not trying to overthrow the people who live in the cabin, but with, they kind of go knock on the door and they realize it's empty. So they think, okay, well, whoever lived here is gone, so this is easy, we'll just stay here. And after they've kind of already set up camp for the night, this kid shows up, um, his name's Echo, and, he's, and they realize that the cabin uh, is his home and that he had lived there with his dad, I believe, and, um, or yeah. no, his mom, his mom and his uh, little brother, but that, um, that they, the, his family is gone now, that they have died. And Echo really was interesting for a number of ways because um, that character didn't uh, exist for a long time. I had a couple of other characters in that place that really just weren't working. They were all kind of like, and I could tell even as I was writing it that they were placeholders, that they weren't, they just weren't very interesting. They were very mm. two-dimensional. And um, ultimately, I thought, well, what would really be interesting is if we could see, we could see a version of what Nico could be, um, like a like a, a worse version of what Nico could be, a version of what Nico could be if she had decided to stay in the farmhouse. And she um, kind of comes to see that as well, see a lot of of herself in Echo. And mm. um, it was an, it was another motivation for. Um, or I guess confirmation is a better word, that she did make the right decision in leaving and that, yes, she could have stayed in the farmhouse. Um, if her father had died, she still could have stayed in the farmhouse, but then she would be alone in this house. And kind of over time with that kind of isolation and solitude, mm. um, the toll that that might take. And I, I really wanted a character where we could see that toll um, and where Nico could see that toll, like what had, what would have been possible for her if she had stayed. And I think Echo was that. But there are a couple other things that Echo does um, that, uh, again, without giving too much away, <laughs> that um, mm. kind of his – that required him to have some agency for himself, for his own character, because you don't ever want a character that's only there to serve other characters around them. Um, and so there is sort of a, um, a, a couple of scenes where we see what Echo wants and, and kind of ultimately where he lands and his purpose in the wider, in the wider world of the book. Um, so. Well, we've got two guys that are not so good. We've got Bruno and Gabe. And we yeah. know they are dangerous. And you know, yet, the other char- how do the other characters protect themselves to stay alive? You mean when they're with Bruno and Gabe? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I really never wanted, I, I think a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction becomes mm. this sort of, um, it's just, it's sort of torture porn almost. <laughs> like where it's just the world is so ravaged and there are all these people who have just gone to their most sort of base instincts. Um, and I really didn't want this book to be populated with a lot of those characters, but I also understood that that was a, that, that was a likely reality in this world that I'd set. So mm. I did want there to be a taste of it, and I think Bruno and Gabe really were that taste. Um, and it is it happens, you know, it's in the last third of the book. They, they run into these two these yeah. two characters who really have just sort of taken over the town and they come across as um, overly, like overly friendly in the very beginning. They invite them into this old abandoned church for a dinner. And mm. um, ultimately you kind of, it's very quickly you realize that they think that they have uh, not just outsmarted, but sort of uh, strategically figured out how to, become master of the flu flies um, and kind of wield the flu flies as a weapon, which of course is, you can't do. And, and anytime, anytime uh, humans try to kind of wield nature to their own control, I mean, even, you know, books like Jurassic Park come to mind where it doesn't go well. 
Um, and so we kind of see how how the post-apocalyptic world has taken its toll on, on other people as well. Um, mm. But yeah, ultimately, Bruno's story is a little more simple. I kind of, in my mind, I imagined, I don't know if you ever saw the, the brilliant HBO show Deadwood. Um, yep. Al, there's, a, there's a character in Deadwood called Al Swearingen. Oh. Um, yeah, my husband loves it. I don't. He loves it. Yeah, no, it's well, and it's it's not for everyone, and and certainly that that particular character is. Um, yeah, is, I don't like it. <laughs> well, so I kind of was thinking of him when I wrote Bruno's character, which was just this sort of over the top kind of, but but smart, uh, but not you not there seems like maybe there's a screw loose. You're not really sure what's going on, and. Um, but then you kind of also feel a little, you kind of feel a little bit for his son. So Gabe is, so Bruno is Gabe's dad, and mm. and um, Gabe is a character that you that is definitely there's something wrong with him. But but also, can you blame him? He's been raised in this not only in in the same world as these other kids, but with a parent like Bruno, um, just total violence and destruction and. Um, and so I did also want to provide a little measure of there's something that happens um, much later in the book with the character of Gabe that kind of shows a possible different outcome for him. Well, I have an odd question for you because I have a few more. Okay. Okay. If this was for today, how should the story make people in our present world wise up staying more careful and vigilant about this virus? Well, I hesitate to say much about that. I I feel like mm-hmm. the world of the book is just so different from from the world yeah, of, from our real world. And um, you know, I of course I I would hope that people get I I'm fully vaccinated. I I want people Me to too. get vaccinated. I want <laughs> you know, I like I just feel like we that's that's the part that we can play in in ending this for good and um so yeah, but but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really the thing. The thing that I love about fiction is that it's made up. And of course, as you're reading it, yeah. you can apply it to all sorts of. You know, as the reader, it's, it's your right, and and really, it's a sacred right to be able to interpret and apply as you see fit. Um, and so, as the creator of fiction, I'm always really cautious about about saying, "Here's what people should take from one of my books," because that then sort of robs the reader of their own mm. right. Um, so I'm I'm happy for readers to interpret and apply however they they see fit, but I'm I'm always cautious of sort of prescribing my own interpretations um, onto them if that makes sense. It does. What bothers me is that uh, I wear masks wherever I go, and yeah. up here the rules are you have to wear masks. But when I go into the bakery in the morning, the owner said you don't have to wear them anymore. Yeah. And people came in this morning and were not wearing masks. And this guy came over to me, a strange guy, and he said, "I can't see your face. You're not wearing. You're wearing a mask." I said, "I intend to be safe." He said, "Well, I'm vaccinated." Yeah. I said, "That doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I don't know who was coming behind me." And I was like, "Right. You don't need to wear a mask in there anymore." So I said to my husband, "I'm going to just like stay on the side because yeah. it bothers me because you don't know." I mean, everybody's vaccinated, the people that own it and everything, but that doesn't mean that the person that's behind you is. Right. I mean, it's not. And you don't know it's what this crazy time. virus. Yeah, it's, it's a strange it's time now. You know, there was, a, there was a long period of time where it was, you know, there were certain rules in place because we all knew yeah. what was at stake. And, and now it's sort of there's this giant gray area, and everyone's sort of able to say, well, here's what I think's safe, and here's what I think's safe. And it is a little it's, – it's a little um, – yeah, it's a little more haphazard right now. I don't think people know, because there was an incident on the news this morning where the parents of a high school near me want their children unmasked. I don't know yeah. how safe that is, because if they're not, with the high school, if they're not vaccinated, that's dangerous. Right. And there are right. parents yeah, that are I not agree. giving. My, I mean, my whole family had COVID, not me, but my whole family in New Jersey and Florida, everybody had it. And, mm. uh, it, and I, the reaction that I had to the vaccine was horrendous. And yeah. almost as horrendous they said as having the the virus, and I'd still rather deal with the vaccine. And I, I just like yeah. you don't you really don't know how powerful this vaccine is. You don't know how long it's going to last in your system, and right. you got to be careful no matter what. So I, I don't know. 
So yeah. my question next is, yeah. where do you see these characters? And this is this is not a standalone. This is a continuation. It's going to be a sequel, right? I think. I hope. Well, <laughs> as of now, it is a standalone. Actually, I've I've got an idea for for a sequel, sort of set in the same world, but. Um, I haven't written it and I haven't sold it. There's no real plans for it yet. Um, I'm mm-hmm. kind of letting it stew and simmer a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, th- there is definitely a possibility for that, for sure. Well, after the last chapter, I would think so. So tell us about <laughs> um, what is what does when does Rico realize, Nico realize that what her father imparted to her was true, and that leaving was the smartest thing that she could do. Because it has to be hard for her in, in in general. Yeah, you know, it it is sort of a it was a hard it was a hard realization because it meant that uh, leaving was was right, but also it was a good it was also a good realization because it meant that Nico did in fact know her, know her father the way she thought she did. I think mm. one of her internal struggles the entire way was, you know, they were close and and. If what he's what he's telling her turns out to not be true, then she then now she has to question everything that she thought she knew yeah. about him. So finding out that it was true is a confirmation that she did in fact know him and love him the way that she thought she did. So I, you're right. It definitely it definitely yeah. was a a, a, con, a, confl, a conflicting emotion, but I had always saw it as more of a sort of a joyous realization that everything she'd had with her dad was exactly what she thought it was. That's what most kids want to believe. Is everything their parents say is what really yeah. what really is. You'd be amazed right. <laughs> what you find yeah. out after they're gone. <laughs> what can I say? Right. You, right. You, just, you just never know. So, yeah. what about Kit? Where does he wind up? What happens with him? <laughs> I well, like I don't want to spoil anything. No. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything. Kit, Kit is kind of he's you know there's not one single kind of key to the whole thing that, but mm. he is one of one of the main pieces of the component to the sort of inner workings of the book um and uh and yeah i mean i i love kit too and i think if i, I feel like you know one of the responses i've seen to this book that has just brought me a lot of joy has been people finishing mm. it and and then their immediate impulse is to reread it to kind of see things uh, now that they know kind of how it, where it landed, to now experience it um, with that knowledge, and I think that Kit's storyline is one that especially would a lot of a lot of light is kind of shined on him in a way that that maybe some things that maybe were missed if you don't know what's going on. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that my hope is that a reread would would kind of answer any questions about Kit's um, where he lands. Well, they will land somewhere, but we can't tell them where. And that last chapter is like, there's got to be more to this, seriously. Seriously. Because <laughs> there's like an awakening there, and I go like, what? Right. I, I wasn't yeah. sure, and then I go like, oh, my God, you have to be kidding me. And, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so, so that, actually, that's really shocking, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I so I read um, – I don't read. I don't go in search of of reviews of my own books. I just it, that's unhelpful for me. But I get sent, my publisher will send me you know professional trade reviews. So any of those I end up seeing, and um, probably one of my favorite reviews for for this book was from Kirkus, which said it was perplexing yet satisfying. And I think that was mm-hmm. kind of the goal. I'm as I said before, like when I finish a Ted Chang story, I'm not always sure what I read. I just all I know is that it felt new and different, and I loved the ride. And I think that's kind of what I'm going for here is I'm okay if there's some perplexed faces at the end, at the mm-hmm. end of the book. My hope is that you still have a sense of satisfaction, though. So. Well, I have to tell you, I, I, don't try not, I read Congress reviews after I write mine, and I'm trying to figure out why my review disappeared on my review site, because I know I sent it to your, to your publicist, and I'm going, like, I have to post this again later, and it's really uh. good. I, I oh, read Cooker's well, reviews, and they write this thing. It's almost like they rewrite the back cover. And mm, then right. the last sentence is either, um, and one I won't say which author it is, if you could get rid of the narrator, the story would be great. I agree. <laughs> I hate to say it. Um, yeah, they usually come up with a zinger at the end. So that yeah. isn't too bad. Uh, Publishers yeah, no, could is, be worse. They could be worse. 
it could be a lot. I've had a lot worse, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I mean, um, and I've had a lot better. They they this, they, this they, could pay, they could write a beautiful review and pan it at the end, and then go like, "Are you serious?" Right. right. So, yep. If Nico could speak to everyone, what would she tell them about survival by yourself? Hmm, that, that is a new question for me. If Nico could speak to too. everyone, yeah. Um, I guess it would be a sense of sort of gratitude that we are mm. that we, you know, there are, there are a number of times in the book where I kind of show the ways that that. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think it's any secret that humankind is is destroying our the planet. <laughs> um, and you know, Nico's perspective is unique because it's sort of after humankind isn't really around anymore. And and mm-hmm. uh, and I, I guess it would be a yeah. I think there would be just a sense of gratitude for community. You know, mm-hmm. all, really, all she has is her dad and her books and her dogs. And that sounds. I'm I'm a pretty I'm a pretty hardcore introvert, and that sounds pretty wonderful. But ultimately, over a really long period of time, that's no way to live. <laughs> um, you know, you need a community and, and connectivity. And I think that if this past year has taught us anything, it's that. Even for introverts, we need some yeah. form of connectivity. And um, so I think it would just be a sense of, of saying, hey, you know, let's, let's all have some gratitude for, um, for, our, for our world and for the connectivity that we are afforded right now. Okay, what is next for you, and where can we find out more about you and your work? Yeah, sure. So I'm working on my fifth novel right now, and um, it's it's still kind of in early stages. So I, I don't really mm-hmm. I have I'm not really able to say much right now, but I'm but I'm really enjoying okay. it. It's very different from Electric Kingdom, um, uh, but it it has sort of a speculative angle, so it's not totally realistic. Um, yeah, I mean I think probably so. DavidArnoldBooks.com is where anything official would be posted. And then um, I'm, I'm not really active on Twitter, but I am on Instagram at mm-hmm. I am David Arnold. Well, thank you so very much. This has been fun, let me tell you. <laughs> and I, I, I do panel shows, too. I never know what I'm going to do. I never know what's going to come out of me to do. And I'll have to let you know if I'm going to do something on speculative, yeah. But for those of you that don't know, and this June 26th, Population Zero will come out, and it's a world without people. I created a world of ice, a world of darkness, a world of no sun, a world of no water, and a world covered in glass and how people screwed it up. So it's not quite like yours, but it's, it's different. And I've got some great reviews uh, from some New York Times authors. But I want to thank you so much, and everybody whether you whether your place says your state says to not wear a mask or not, I think you need to still wear it. That's just me. So one small ask, everybody stay safe, wear a mask. David, thank you so much. Everybody have a great day and bye. Thank you so much, Fran.